Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world, welcome to the show. This is the Millennial Millionaire Podcast, and I am your host, Stephen Cohen. This podcast is focused on bringing some of the wisest minds from across the globe to discuss concepts, strategies, and ideals that will lead them to be top performers in their respective industries and their lives. This show is for the millennials and millennials at heart to transcend their mindset, their health, and their income to the next level. We are so excited to have you on this journey with us. Welcome to the show. Yo, 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 millennial millionaires, welcome back to the show. Super excited to have everyone for another episode. We have a super special guest today, guys. We have Mr. Justin Freistat. Uh, Justin's an absolute savage in the entrepreneur space. He's currently the managing partner and president of sales at Kearns Capital with manager with assets under management of $20 million. He has a, over a decade in the direct sales industry. Him and his partners currently own over 1,600 units across five states. And his most recent business acquisition was Heartland Foods, which is one of the number one farm-to-table food services across the East Coast with $87 million in all-time revenue. Justin, welcome to Vegas, bro. You just moved here a month ago. Welcome to the show, man. Happy to be here. Yeah, happy man. to be in Vegas. It's great. Yeah, bro. Sin City, what's your experience so far? Loving oh, it? Absolutely loving it. The dry heat it just feels amazing. Yeah. Lack of taxes, all of it. Yeah, yeah, Because you came from D.C. Yeah, right outside D.C. in Northern Virginia. Different so, world. Definitely a different world, man. Yeah, like we were kind of talking before, I grew up in Vegas, and uh, I get to do a, a decent amount of traveling. I've lived in a couple more states, and uh, I feel like nothing can compare, man. You know, you, you got the... You got the hustler's energy, you have, you know, the no state tax like we talked about, and it's just like a special city. Golden Knights just won. Maybe that was you bringing in the good luck. I think so, because when the Caps won, because I'm a big Caps fan, yeah, and they won the Cup here the inaugural year in 2018, right? Yeah. And then I move here, and a month later, the Cup's back. It's like, there you go, bro. Me. Yes. <laughs> Justin, uh, for those that don't know you, give us a little background about, maybe a little bit about your entrepreneur history, what you're about, and then we'll hop into it. All right, let's do it. So it started, I guess, when I dropped out of college. I guess that's where it started, but uh, just couldn't find anything that was for me in school, you know? So I dropped out um, after I started in direct sales, right? You get that first big commission check and you're like, man, I'm just not going back to school. So I went all in on sales um, at my dad's company. He had just started a, the food service, Heartland Foods, and we're pretty small back then. And I just started learning the sales side of things and then eventually building out the teams and growing out that entire side of the company. So that's how it started for me. And, uh, you know, I'm I was never the owner, right? I've mean, always been this number two type character, which, you know, you need that guy. So you can call it entrepreneurship. You know, I've never had a salary. It's always been 100% commission roles. But yeah, uh, yeah it's actually never the owner at the top, you know? Yeah, that's cool, man. I, uh, you know, me and you have very similar backgrounds because same with me, you know, I've been in the direct sales industry for, you know, 10 plus years. And it's interesting because I feel like a lot of people when they look at business or they try and get into entrepreneurship, they feel like they may have to run their own company or be the CEO or be the number one guy. I feel like in reality, there's so many people out there that have made massive amounts of success being number two or being number three, or not necessarily, you know, wearing all the different hats, but focusing on the one thing that they're good at and really dominating and partnering with people that maybe uh, lack some of the strengths that, that you have. Um, in terms of sales, because a lot of our listeners are definitely salespeople, why do you think there's so many people today, whether it's in business or in life or, uh, you know, real estate moguls? that have sales as their DNA or the place where they dedicate a lot of their start to entrepreneurship and business? 
I mean, no sales, you don't have a business. So, I mean, if, if you can't do it, you got to get, you know, a rock star to do it, which goes back to what you were saying about roles, right? So eliminating the egos and just knowing exactly what you're good at and everybody's equal in that effort is huge. But, I mean, getting good at sales is... Uh, Gary Brecker talks about the frequency of authenticity. Mm. I think the biggest problem I see is when people want to go into sales, they pick up a sales book and they start learning tie downs, closes, all this stuff that just makes people uncomfortable, you know, if it's not used in a professional way. So I think in the beginning, it's like, just be authentic, learn how to talk to people, solve their problem. And sales really isn't that complicated. Mm. Do you think anyone could be good at sales or do you think you have to be naturally gifted or is it more of a learned skill set where if you dedicate yourself, you can get really good at it? Both. Um, I think it's, for me, it was interesting, right? I was the kid that had tons of social anxiety, um, didn't want to go to prom, homecoming, any of that stuff. It just being around people just made me nervous. I hated it, right? But what happened was is I hated that quality in myself so much that I dedicated my life literally to getting rid of it and then you look on the other side, it's like, now it's my greatest strength. So it's, it's one of those things. There are people who their identity, their personality is, you know, leans towards a sales role, but the most deadly people are, are the ones who develop it. Yeah, man, it's funny you say that because similar to my story, I was super introvert. Even still to this day, I feel like naturally, I feel my best and I feel recharged when I'm in solitude and by myself, but because of the industry I'm in, you know, you have to force yourself to go out there and, you know, communicate, which is something I, I truly enjoy being with other people. But I think in my DNA intrinsically, I, I'm definitely an introvert. And it's funny because growing up in high school, uh, very similar, you know, lack self-esteem, lack social skills, uh, had a very low self-image and identity, which we'll get into in a little bit. So for me, it was like, I really had to double down on those skills of communication. And it's funny because typically when you meet someone who is like an awesome public speaker or crushes it at business or that guy or gal in the room who just blows you away with his communication skills, I feel like at one point they were really bad at it. So they had the desire to fill that need in order to be really good at it. Would you agree? <laughs> yeah, I think you suck at everything at first. Yeah. And it's the willingness to be okay with that. I mean... You start anything new, you can't be great at it. You get great by doing the reps. And that's why frequency is more important than studying or learning skills, anything like that. Just doing it over and over, you're bound to get better at it. 100%, man. So uh, in your previous business, before you guys got acquired, which we'll talk about, congratulations, by the way. That's, Thank you. That's big time. Uh, I'm on my way there. We're working on it. Love it. Um, I feel like in today's age, everyone is you know, social media, digital marketing, everyone has, you know, drop shipping businesses or e-commerce businesses. And it's rare, to be honest, in, in a lot of situations with our younger demographic uh, to kind of have a grassroot uh, business. Can you walk us through maybe some of the challenges or tribulations or learning lessons that it took to actually build a business from zero to 100 to eventually selling it? Yeah, I mean, it's every business is so different. Looking back on it, I would have never done this again, yeah. right? Um, we were in a very difficult business. Uh, and the pandemic taught us that in a good way, which we'll get to, but you know, you've gotta be good at so many different things, right? You got marketing, accounting, sales, like all the different things in a business. For us, we had a physical warehouse with a giant walk-in freezer, mm -hmm. massive utility bills, trucks on the road, 30 employees, you know, it's just so much to manage and food has thin margins to begin with. So, Sometimes it's like, look at the vehicle you're in 
you know, it might not be the best one if it's not working. Um, and, and that's what I learned. We had such a difficult time with marketing because nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, I want a freezer full of food. They wake up and they go to the grocery store. Maybe they order, you know, blue apron or like a meal kit. So we were trying to create a market for something, which I don't advise doing that unless you are the next Facebook or one of these unicorns. You go into a business that people are in the market for because we had constantly had to keep creating the market. Facebook ads worked really well in 2015 and then it didn't work anymore. And it became a, a referral driven company which is great, that means your customers love you, that's where your leads come from, but you can't scale off of straight referrals. It's very difficult. So when the pandemic happened, everybody was scared to go to the grocery store. It created the market for us. And that's how we were able to go um, 10 million plus. And it was a great learning lesson for me because I was like, I suck at marketing, I'm not good at business, we can't get this, you know, 10 years, we couldn't get it over 10 million in revenue, right? And, and I'm working, I mean, I would, I would work 50 straight days, no days off. Like It was like I was going to work until it, it worked. And that's a good thing and a bad thing because I was never going to quit. Yeah. Right? So that's why it happened. But if the pandemic hadn't happened, it would have never worked. So, man, what a balance of like not quitting but like realizing you might be in the wrong vehicle. That's a really tough dynamic. Yeah, it's powerful, man. I feel like a lot of people, um, including myself, have had that struggle where, you know, especially out now with social media and so much information out there, everyone's saying, you know, don't quit. You know, the only way that you fail is if you quit, you know, commit, work, grind, hustle mentality. But it's true. It's like, what is the fine line between realizing, hey, this just isn't working anymore and realizing that I'm not quitting, but maybe I'm pivoting to another vehicle that whether it's the time, whether it's your skill set, whether it's that authenticity, authenticity uh, that we spoke about is just better suited for, um, you know, the individual. Yeah. When it, when it came to you guys growing the business, um, obviously you were on the sales end of it, but um, you know your dad who, who ran the business was dealing with operations. Do you feel like in order to be successful in life, you need to learn all the other aspects of business or is it better to focus on an expertise and get mastery over a specific skill set, a specific space, and then just double down on that and find other people to balance out your weaknesses? I think it's both, you know, like you just gotta know who you are. Like for me, I always had that chip on my shoulder. I was like, I need to be the business owner. Like, and like I couldn't get past like working for somebody else. I thought I needed to own a business. The reality was, is that I don't have those skill sets. It's not my identity. Mm. I am amazing at one thing and I'm great at doubling down on that now and lifting the ego. So somebody else though, who's great at managing all these different buckets in a business and orchestrating it, putting it together, hiring, you know, putting all the, all the right pieces together. If that's your skill set, great, roll with that. I feel like that's very few and far between though. Most of us are gonna be really good at one thing. Mm. How do you attract good people to a business? You know, everyone's out there, you need great people, you need great people. No one's actually talking about how do you find, or maybe not find, but attract good people in business that has common goals, values, and dreams to what you're trying to build. That was the hardest part of the business, was personnel. So hiring, hiring sales teams was always the hardest. Um, and it was mostly because the value proposition, right? Like we're, we're asking people to get in a car, drive to someone's house, right? Make the sale and make 500 bucks. Very difficult, right? When someone can go do solar, yeah. make a lot more money and do the same thing. So that's what we were always up against is we just didn't have the margins to pay sales top, top talent what, mm. what they deserved, right? So again, back to the vehicle, it was so hard 
But if you're doing solar, I bet you, you guys are building massive teams pretty easily, probably. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. It's tough, man. Uh, it's the same thing we deal with, even with great margins. You know, so our business is 100% commission. Door to door is mainly our DNA. That's what we focus on. So our turnover rate is crazy. You know, because mm -hmm. you get someone who gets super excited about the opportunity, and then you quickly realize, man, this is challenging. Um, and I think the big reason is most people can't break that employee mindset. You know, they come in, they see the value, they see the opportunity, but because we've been conditioned for such a long time to, you know, work when we're told to work, you know, go to the bathroom when we tell you to, right? By from high school, from college, you know, the 40, 40, 40 plan, work 40 hours a week, 40 years of your life, and then hopefully retire. It's tough to break that mentality coming from that employee mindset. Um, which obviously in order to be successful in business, you have to do. Was that something that you ever struggled with or did you figure it out pretty quickly and the people that were around you also, you know, kind of follow that as well. Yeah, for me, it was the competitive nature of it. And I wanted to accelerate time. That's why for those first years, I just wouldn't stop working. It was like, I need to take like, if I'm going to work seven days a week, well, I'll tell you a story. So when I first came into the company, there, there were two, two sales guys, that's it, right? Yeah. Um, the top guy, I'm like, okay, well, how, how do you do these numbers? And he was great. He had all the industry records. And he's like, oh, well, um, number one, I read personal development books. He's like, none of these other guys do that. Number two, I work on Saturdays. Everybody else works five days. Mm. So I'm like, all right, well, if I'm going to catch this guy, I got to go seven. Right. Ended up breaking his records three years later because I just outworked everybody. It was that simple. So somebody that's looking for balance, like all these things, that's cool. But not in the beginning. <laughs> like in the beginning, you got to be all in if you really want to, you know, accelerate the time. If you want to not wait 40 years to start enjoying your life, you're going to have to really pound it in the beginning. Why do, you, why do you think I love that, you know, accelerating time? You know, I don't believe in balance. I think there's different seasons in people's lives. You know, when you guys first started, you couldn't enjoy a vacation with your wife. You know, you couldn't hang out in Vegas for a weekend because there, that season of your life was a season of grinding and a season of sewing to eventually, hopefully, you know, see those results later on to now have a little bit more, you know, work-life time balance. Why do you think so many people don't have that level of urgency to compress time and are okay being casual about their businesses, their jobs, and their lives? I just think it's the programming of society. Mm. I mean, from the time you're a little kid, you're so impressionable. And I mean, that's that's what entrepreneurship is to me, like what we're doing. It's a deprogramming process of everything you were told until you were 18. Go there. Like That's it. You know, I mean, and that's just the diving into the personal development books, hearing these other perspectives. And it's challenging what you thought you knew. Right. But it's honestly, it's never you're never going to do it unless it like for me, nothing pissed me off more than having to look at the price on the menu. Mm -hmm. Or if I do go on vacation, like, can we afford this restaurant? Can we like I got can we book the flights and like I'm looking at the flights like it's cheaper on a Wednesday. Like all these things you do when you don't have money hurt so bad in my soul that I was just gonna do whatever it takes to get rid of that. Yeah. Like I just don't want to go on vacation until I don't have to look at the price. Yeah. 100% man and you know I feel like a lot of people are out there saying money doesn't buy happiness or all these all these things that again go back to programming I remember growing up you know my parents never made more than $30,000 a year you know so super um, conservative so much fear always in the household about money how are we gonna pay our bills and they always used to say you know oh yeah those rich people they're scammers or money doesn't grow on trees and like all these sayings and 
the scary thing is, is if you don't realize that that's the conditioning from your upbringing, you go through life unconsciously running those programs and you don't know why you have these beliefs because you've never taken the time to be self-aware and be authentic with yourself and, and listen and try and reprogram. And I know you brought up personal development, which I really want to dig into because for me, that was the big game changer for me going from a broke college student that all he cared about was partying girls in Vegas to, man, I got to get super serious about my future. For personal development, what did that journey start? When did it start? And what did that look like to take you from who you were to the person that you are today? Yeah. So interesting about my upbringing, right? So I had, in hindsight, I think it's the, the best upbringing possible is your family gets really wealthy and they lose everything, mm. right? So that, that happened when I was 13. So by the time, by zero to 13, all I knew was privilege, right? That's it. Like my, my dad was entrepreneur, successful blind company, sold it for millions of dollars in the 90s, right? And then, you know, like, and this is another topic, you know, great entrepreneurs um, are not always the best investors because it's a totally different flip, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, family went to zero, destroyed the family, right? And it's a, it's a tough lesson to learn. But I'm so thankful for that because what if I had only known privilege and no struggle? Like, I definitely wouldn't be who I am if I didn't have to go through that at that age. Most people have to do it as an adult. That's what happened to my dad. I got to see it and live through it, and I'm so thankful for that. So I don't even remember what was the question. No, that was powerful, bro. Right. I, I love what you said there because there is, I just had um, someone on the show, Michael Unbroken, who's big in like therapy and working with people's trauma and, and changing their perspective. And I really think based on our childhood definitely determines how we think, how we act as we get older. And similar for me as well, you know, growing up with not much privilege, it gave me the hunger to go get privilege because for me in my brain, I correlated money with pain and money with fear. Therefore, naturally, we're either, you know, attracted to pleasure or attracted to pain. So I was motivated from an early age to go out there and figure out a way to get rid of this pain and fear where I feel like a lot of people out there that are kind of just drifting and stuck in life. Maybe they weren't super affluent family, but they probably weren't struggling either. They didn't have enough pain growing up around money or around success where they're kind of just in the middle. And I think it's a really scary place to be because if you're not motivated and being urgent about your future because you never had enough pain, you, you end up in this weird quagmire of being comfortable. And uh, I think it's a really scary place to be. Yeah. And now I remember it was personal development, how it got started. But so my dad, right, he he would give me books every year when I was a kid. And I just hated it. I was like, I never read a single one every year of my birthday. Like it's a different book, different personal development, blah, 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 blah. Ignored all of it, right? Went into sales, still didn't want to look at it, right? And I'm failing. I'm terrible at sales. I'm like the worst ever. <laughs> and then I finally was like, all right, I'm going to try one of these. And he gave me uh, CDs back then, right? Um no Excuses by Brian Tracy. Yeah. I'll never forget driving to a lead and it just clicked that I had just been being a giant victim since my parents got divorced. Everything was their fault. Blah, blah, blah. This happened to me, right? And I, it was that moment that all of that went away and I was like, you got to take control of your life. No one else is going to do it. And I literally pull, I had to pull over. I just like broke down crying because it was like, it was such a weight gone because I was just blaming, 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 right? And that's, uh, whenever you're in that mode of it's someone else's fault, you are so miserable, because now you've trained yourself to be helpless. You can't fix the problem, and you have to live in it. 
So if, if you're listening to this and you think anything is someone else's fault, you're going to feel a lot better when you take ownership for it, even if you don't solve the problem. 100%, man. I love the, uh, the quote. You know, it may not be your fault this is happening, but it's, it's your responsibility to change it. That's it. Because if not, whose responsibility is it, right? You're giving your power away to other people that regardless if it's their fault or not, it doesn't help your situation. And I think that's how people stay disempowered. You know, I believe true empowerment is taking, as to your point, full ownership over everything in your life. All the good and the bad, you know, as Jim Rohn talks about, right? Like the person you are today is a sum of the decisions and the person you've become up until this point, you've attracted uh, by the decisions you've made. So if you can really swallow that pill and, you know, dry the eco a little bit, it gives you an empowered state to actually go create some change, um, you know, from that vantage point. So I love that. Uh, Justin, let's, let's talk a little bit. Um, you mentioned this before and I saw it in your video and I really liked it. What's the shift from a sales professional to an investor? What does that look like? Mm. Well, I think they, they happen together. Right. But I think people try to be an investor too early. Right. Like I get my first thousand dollars of cash and I buy Bitcoin. Like yeah. it, it could go up a hundred X. Like you, you still don't have any money. It's like, it's just not going to work. So I think delaying being an investor until you become so good, and maybe it's sales, maybe it's whatever, but you're gonna need big income before you can go be a real investor. So it's being an investor in, in the sales is reinvesting back into yourself, your business, getting better at your skill set until you're making, I mean, at least $300,000 a year. You should not even consider being an investor. It should all be poured back in to getting your income up, however you're gonna do that. Going to conferences, the, the books, like all of it, training or investing in marketing, like whatever it's going to be that's going to get you to a place that you can actually be an investor. Because unless you're an accredited investor, like you can invest in the stuff that, that we provide at Kearns Capital, any of the real estate syndication stuff, all the real investments, the SEC won't let you touch it until you're making 300 grand. Yeah, man. Um, how much of wealth in your early days or, or developing that mindset came from saving money because as we spoke before the cameras you know you're super frugal living below your means you're making really good money with your business but your 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 means never increased past what you were making versus spending that same energy on making money obviously there's a combination of both but can you walk us through what that saving living below your means and that focused on earning and investing of yourself combination looks like to create that secret facade yeah i mean delay right <laughs> i mean delaying things is is the most painful thing but it's, it's necessary, right? Think about how hard you work for those dollars, right? Just think about how hard it is and how you don't want to do that anymore. So keep the, keep the expenses low. Like you don't need a house, stay in the apartment, right? Like we did, my wife and I, we, we were eating peanut butter jellies, like keeping it like real, real lean. Cause I was, when we met, we both had negative net worths, mm. right? I was 24, 25, something like that. And, uh, yeah, we just, I was like, we need to get our first property. We need to buy real estate. Like this is, I was listening to Grant Cardone, like all that stuff. And Uncle I was like, G. yeah. And I was like, this is the path, right? So it's really hard because she was still in school. I made 90 grand that year, but we saved 15 of it, mm. right? How many people making 90 grand saving 15 every year? Not many. Right. Because They're usually spending 110. Yeah. Like super focused on that, you know, no credit card debt, any of that stuff. And we just, that's how we got our first condo, bought that property. This is before I understood the dynamic of living in, in, <laughs> in your real estate. Um, but it's a good way to start, right? So 
we're in that condo for a year. We did the same thing, right? My income went up to 150. She graduates college, gets her first job making 70 something, right? So now our income's going up, kept the overhead the same. A year later, boom, bought a townhouse, saved 50 grand, right? It's just, I mean, if you can't save half your money in the beginning, like you, you're never going to create anything. Yeah. So we just kept laddering that. And then um, I realized that single doors are just not as good. It depends, right? There's, there's no right or wrong asset class if you're great at it. But for me, I wanted to be hands off. So doing single doors was just not the path. So we sold that condo, um, saved up a bunch more, and then we, we did our first real estate syndication. That's cool, man. Yeah. Um, can you can you speak a little bit to you know we talked about this? You just moved to Vegas, um, live in a beautiful house, right? You you just had a a big exit, but you decided instead of buying to rent here. And I feel like so many people are conditioned the American dream. You know, you need to go buy a house, go buy a house, go buy a house. Yeah. Um, and in some scenarios, it makes sense. You know, I feel like I bought a house. Um, I bought a couple houses, one for my parents, then one for myself. I've done really well on them, you know, because of appreciation, the mm -hmm. market, so on and so forth. But can you speak on the philosophy that maybe buying a house for your first investment isn't always the best thing to do? Uh, it just depends what type of investor you want to be. You know, if you're going to be slow and steady, like the corporate type person, probably should buy a house. It's going to be your biggest asset over time, you know, but if you want to be an investor, you know, it's, it's just not the path. Cause if you get scale, you just rent where you live and then you can buy, you know, a, a small piece of hundreds, hundreds of doors. Now you're in the commercial space, right? In the commercial space, you get tax advantages. It's not the same as these single, these single family homes. Mm. So, you know, if it, if, if a hundred grand, um, going into a value add syndication is going to take 60,000 off my taxes very compelling, right? And and it's it's not always the returns, it's how much you can keep of the returns. Yeah. No, I, I like that a lot. So obviously you're mainly focused right now on real estate and, and currents capital, which is your you know, your investment fund. Can you walk us through a little bit to sharing as much details as you can of what it looked like to make that exit at your previous company and eventually transition into a full-time investor at this point? Because if I'm correct, the intent was never to sell the company. It, it kind of happened. Mm -hmm. I feel like so many people, so many entrepreneurs out there, they're always looking for that exit, that end game, you know, whether it's a stock, whether it's a real estate deal. Um, but sometimes without necessarily having the intent to do it, it comes and you're able to attract that opportunity. Can you walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, leading up to the exit, exactly what you said, it was not the intent to ever sell the company. It was gonna be the family business forever. I was gonna take it over. It was just so difficult that I was looking for other things already. Mm. I was like, you know what, maybe it's just, I don't wanna do this anymore. And I, while I was doing this, and this is like, for, for people that think that you're you're overwhelmed and you don't have time for anything. I'm running that business and I'm also trying to get my insurance license, which didn't work. And then all these other things, right? It's just, you have more time than you think, right? So then the pandemic happens, we blow the company up, exit happens. Um, when you go through that experience, it's if you've never done it before, I mean, one of the best things I did was go get coaching from a private equity guy who'd done a ton of deals. He negotiated my part of the deal and you know, I made 750,000 more than I, than I was going to because you just knew what to do, right? So, and that cost $15,000 for like five minutes of time, Jeez. right? That's a, that's a big spend when you don't, like, what's, what am I gonna learn in five minutes? It's like, well, a lot. Big ROI there, right? Yeah. So, yeah, we get out of the business and um, I was just, 
um, on for the transition, right? So during that time, I'm like, well, I got to figure out what I'm going to do next. So um, I started going to tons of masterminds, you know, high-end events. Um, and what I realized by doing that, because I had never done that stuff before, I realized how much I had been held back by not getting around people doing bigger things than me. Mm. It was, because it's scary. It's scary the first time you go to one of these conferences and there's a billionaire in the room and guys worth hundreds of millions of dollars and it's intimidating. But what you realize is when you get in that room, everybody just wants to help pull you up as long as you do it the right way, right? You always have to give value to people who are ahead of you in the food chain, but they're the nicest people in the world. They were in your shoes once and all they want to do is help accelerate the time for you if you do it the right way. Yeah. For me, the biggest takeaway is because, you know, I, I do the events, the conferences, all that as well, which are extremely powerful. And part of it's definitely the networking. You know, I get to meet people like you, studs who also are living life at a higher, higher caliber. But I think my biggest takeaway is a lot of time, it's not necessarily the content. I guess it depends if you're, you know, specific conferences, you're obviously getting niche information versus more general like sales and success and mindset, um, like a lot of them. But for me, what happens is when I start meeting these people who, in a sense, I idolize, it makes me realize that they're not any different than I am. It makes me take them off the pedestal. And I believe what's happening is it's actually increasing my identity to help bridge the gap from where I'm at to where I want to be. Because I feel like what happens with super successful people is you put them on a pedestal. I used to do it all the time. Before I made six figures, I thought these six-figure people were godly, yep. talented, super <laughs> special superstars. And you meet them, you're like, this dude's a normal dude. I'm better than this guy in certain senses. Seven, seven figures, same thing. Oh, I can never make a million dollars in my 20s. No, you meet people and you're like, oh, this isn't that hard. And what happens is when you take people off the pedestal, helps bridge that gap in belief and it allows you to to almost attract that success a little bit faster. Uh, do you feel like any time in your career you've had that experience of your identity or your belief or your self-image actually holding you back from what you truly should be deserving in life? Oh, big time. I mean, that 300K a year barrier, that was the ceiling for me for a long time. And I didn't, I couldn't even envision a million dollars a year. It just wasn't possible for me. That's literally what was in my head. And then what I realized from going to these conferences and meeting all these people is like, you are never going to outperform your self-image. Mm. So you just have to, and you have to believe it before it happens. How, how are you going to get somewhere that you don't think you can go? You don't have to know how, but you have to believe it's possible. So I was like, you know what? I can go to 100 million. And I believe it. I don't know how, but I'm going to get started. And that was the biggest thing, was just getting started. And then all of a sudden, you start meeting the right people. That's how I got involved with Cody Kearns and the hedge fund. It was because I went to his event. What if I didn't go to that event? I would not be a hedge fund manager right now. 100%, man. Do you believe in visualization and like law of attraction and all that? Or, or are you more on the other side of, obviously, action, focus, and the mechanics of it? Hmm, both. I think, I think in the beginning, um, you need all that stuff because you don't have the disciplines yet. Right? Mm. So doing things like journaling, writing down your goals, you know, morning and night, like all those things that I did are what developed the habits. And to be perfectly honest, I have not listened to personal development, anything in about six months, because there's going to be a period of time where you know what you need to know. You need to stop wasting time learning and just get out there and execute. Execute. Yeah. Right. So I'm in, I'm in a mode now where like I'm not, I'm not doing any development. All I'm doing is going because I have the path. I see the path to a billion for our fund. Why do I need to? I just need to work, you know. Yeah, 
I feel like a lot of people sometimes get distracted with with self-help sometimes. Yeah, I was that guy for a long time. If I could just get more information, something will click. This sounds great. That sounds great. Obsessively listening to podcasts, reading books. And yes, you need all those things. But at some point, you got to get going. Yeah, I think it goes back to, again, you know, self-awareness and being authentic and knowing what season of your life, you know, you don't want to start sewing in the winter. Um, and it's just understanding the season of your life and doing the best to execute based on that season that, that you're in. Uh, so, Justin, so sold the company, had a big exit, you know, started transitioning over to more of a active investor, still a passive investor, but now it's your full time thing. You're running a fund. When that exit happened, did you look for guidance or mentorship on what to do with the money or where to put it? Or was it something that you instinctively already knew what was going on? Because I feel like a lot of people, what happens is you make a big lump sum of money, you know, and it, it varies, right? Whether it's someone making $30,000 in a month for the first time or someone having a, a multi-million dollar exit for their company. And what happens is, you know, back to your point, you out earn your, your self-development, you out earn that self-image. And then that money sometimes is fleeting. You start making bad investments. You start doing the wrong things because you're self-sabotaging yourself to go back down to what you believe. Did you do anything in order to stop that? Or were you just ready to rock and roll when that happened and executed? I knew exactly what to do. I had been planning for it for 10 years, hmm. you know, like I, and that's the funny thing about my upbringing is I studied more about what to do with money than business, sales, all that stuff. I still studied it, but I wanted to make sure that when I figured it out and when I got the money, I knew exactly what to do with it. And I got rid of all of it. I invested the entire thing. And we didn't upgrade our house, nothing. Like, nothing. I invested all of it. And because the principle was, I'm gonna live off the passive income and the cash flow that comes from planting this seed and my wealth will be indestructible. That's the transition, right? Like no watches, no designer, no cars, none of this crap until you've invested enough that the passive income pays for it. And I wanted that so bad and I finally had the seed, you know, to go make those investments. And now it's like, man, like every business could be terrible, whatever, I still got the passive income. Like I'm good. And that's a feeling that I want for everyone listening to this is to not have to worry about money tomorrow no matter what happens. It's true freedom, right? It's true financial financial freedom. Uh, and I, I think that's the big misconception, especially in my business. But I feel like for a lot of uh, younger entrepreneurs out there in the flex culture and social media we live in, everyone out there is leasing Lamborghinis. You know, they're, they're buying stuff they can't afford. The clothes they have is probably more than what money they have in their bank account. And they're not focused on net worth and building income, building recurring income. In reality, that's really why anyone does anything in the first place. You know, we don't we don't do this to wear nice things and have a nice lifestyle. At least I don't. I do it to set myself up for the rest of the li rest of my life, so I can do what I want, whatever I want, for however I want. And that number is different for everyone, right? Not everyone needs to make five million dollars a year to live their best life. It all depends on their current situation. What advice would you give people to start taking a step in that direction to start getting that recurring income to eventually get to a point where you're at where money isn't an issue anymore? Yeah. So in the beginning, it's Cut the expenses, right? Whatever unnecessary crap you're spending your money on, the revolving stuff, like take an audit of where all the money goes. In the beginning, you cut, but that's not going to get you anywhere. It's just going to set you up to get somewhere. You cannot cut expenses to wealth, right? You can never accumulate anything just by cutting expenses. Like the floor is the floor, right? So the next step is offense. You have to figure out how to earn more. Mm. That's the only way. 
So offense, 100% is what you got to focus on. Um, there, there's an argument of don't cut the expenses. Put pressure on yourself and go harder on offense. You know, as long as you're not too negligent and you keep a spread there, you can do it that way too. But income solves every problem. Like it solves your debt problem. It's, it solves every problem. You're going to have to have income. Yeah. Big income. Sales cure all. Yeah. All right, go out there and perform. And I really like that you mentioned that because I kind of fall in the middle of that of that mindset of I'm Jewish naturally. Okay. So, you know, coming coming saving money is is in my blood, it's in my DNA. Um, so I feel like I've been able to do a decent job over my ten year career where, you know, I see so many people out there that are making good money, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars, and they have nothing to show for it. You know, they're not focused on their net worth. So I'm totally about conserving, saving, investing aggressively, you know, as Grant Cardone says, stay broke. Um, But on the other side of that, where is that fine line of, you know, increasing your lifestyle to hopefully increase your identity or, you know, maybe, maybe splurging a little bit on that car because it's going to allow you to step into that dream a little more, which will help create that new version of yourself. Yeah. This is the toughest thing is finding that, that balance of invest versus live. Mm. Like I'm not impressed with the person that is worth millions and millions of dollars but doesn't live their life at all like that's not impressive to me and i'm not impressed with the person who spends it all either like a healthy balance of investing and living for today you got to do it right because if you're dumping all your money in a 401k to go on that vacation when you're retired like you are you really going to get the same vacation as when you're 30 no right but the biggest thing i'll say about it is make sure there's a big enough gap that you can take care of the people you love if something bad happens because this just happened to me. And it was the biggest revelation I've ever had and why this is so important. I mean, I asked at our boot camp, you know, how many people in this room know someone who's, who's had cancer or car accident, couldn't work, you know, whatever. Every hand goes up. Like tragedy is right around the corner and people are just floating through their life every day. It's okay, the W-2 paycheck's coming on Friday. Mm. So what happened with me, my little brother got cancer like two months ago, Sheesh. terrible, right? He's a police officer, single income, two kids. You don't get paid if you don't go to work. He was like a family who didn't prioritize building wealth like my dad and I did. He couldn't, he couldn't take care of his kids while he's in the hospital fighting for his life. So think about that scenario. Like that's why this wealth thing is so, so important. Because you if you are buying Louis bags, and then your mom gets cancer and you can't take care of her, that's gonna be regret for the rest of your life. And no one's thinking about that. So it was the biggest blessing for me that knowing that whatever medical bills come, you know, like we can pay his mortgage, we can take care of him. And it's not gonna hurt me, right? But that's also because I'm not increasing my lifestyle to the point of what I'm making. So it's, there's always enough cushion for tragedy. And that's the first thing that I would make sure is you have cushion for tragedy. It's powerful, man. I appreciate you sharing that. You know, it goes back to our point. Can money buy happiness? Yeah. Yeah, it can. It can buy security. It can get you in a position where you don't have fear around something awful happening in your family. And uh, I'm with you, man. Like, I never want to be in a position where money stops me 
from doing something to take care of my family. Like the reason I got into entrepreneurship in the first place was because I had a burning desire to take care of my parents, to, to give back to them, to eventually buy them a house and retire them. And I've accomplished that. And now the challenge is, okay, I've accomplished a big why of mine. Now, how do I continue to evolve it? Because what happens is, Ed Milet talks about this. Everyone has a number, you know, where they're where they're they're willing to almost sell their will. You know, you, you get an entrepreneurship, you get excited, right? Maybe three hundred thousand was your original number, and then you hit that, and you're able to take care of your friends, you know, have a good lifestyle, and then you get complacent because you don't evolve your why, you don't evolve the reason for what you're doing this in the first place. And the issue is, if you don't evolve, that's when you see people get stagnant and then start to digress. Was there ever a point in your career where you had to re-identify why you're doing it, or did you have have something from the start that was so powerful that has just pulled you through the whole way man yeah it's i just i had to figure out the money thing it just drove me nuts every time i saw a nice car i was like i can't have it yet and it pissed me off i just wanted all that stuff um and and i was young right so i, I wasn't thinking about the real reasons why so in the beginning i was totally driven by material like i just wanted all the stuff right but I didn't buy it because I knew the right way was I'm going to have to grind, 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 invest, invest. I wanted to do it the right way. And, and I learned that um, the moment for me was when I, f I finally got to what I thought at the time was cushion. And I, I impulse bought an R8, right? And every month when I made that payment, because I couldn't buy it cash. I had enough for like 20% down. Sure. And I'm like, oh, it's time. It's yeah. time to buy the R8. I felt terrible. Because every month, every time I got in that car, paid the bill, whatever, and it was coming from my earned income, it hurt so bad. And I knew deep in my subconscious that I wasn't doing it the right way. And I was going against my principles. Everything that I had studied, it wasn't time. But you, when you've worked and invested everything for eight years and you just haven't made a lot of money yet, and you finally get to the point where you can give yourself a little, like if you cannot do it in that moment, big lesson. But I learned that one the hard way. I lost like 20 grand on the car. I sold it four months after I bought it. And I was like, oh, tough lesson. Got to get at it. Get focused. Like, the car is not going to make me happy. The financial freedom is going to make me happy. Mm, powerful lesson. Yeah. Especially and, at a young age. And also, this, this cancer thing has taught me so much, right? Because I've been chasing so hard what I realized a couple months ago. You know, like, that whole thing, moving here, is that, like, I was still in chase mode. Like, what am I chasing? It's different, right? Now... What I've realized is because I can take care of my family, I don't need to chase more wealth. Mm. Don't need to, right? I, 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 now I'm like, oh, private jets. Like, what's next, right? You don't need any of that. So I just kind of took a step back and I was like, you know what? I don't need to kill myself. I don't need, like, my wife to never see me because all I do is work. I can pull it, pull it back a little bit, have a little bit more time freedom of just life. Even if we're going for a hike in the morning. You know, why, why am I working 12 hours a day? just to have a nicer car or to fly private or any of that. So I'm in this mode now of like, I still want to go to the next level. I still want to be more successful. I still want to accomplish all these amazing things, but I'm not chasing it, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, 100%. It's a powerful realization because um, I've been there. I still am. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm way too much into the hustler grind, grind, grind. And then I look up and I'm like, why am I actually doing this? You know, I'm losing the presence. I'm losing the memory. And that's kind of where I try and bring in more of the Zen Buddhist mentality of like being present. And it's kind of crazy because the, the crazy thing is, you know, I've really been 
juggling with this concept of uh, and versus or, right? Early in my career, I was like, okay, I can either build my business or spend time with my family, or I can either uh, focus on investing or focus on making money. And that's just not true. It's a very limiting, fixed mentality. It's and. We can have it all. You can have an awesome family life, have an awesome, you know, work-life relationship and make tons of money and be a super good dude and not have to screw anyone over. Now, some seasons and some, you know, parts of your business, you may be a little unbalanced and a little uh, not as aligned as you can, but there is a point where you can have everything. And that's really what I've been focused on, uh, doing my best to try and make sure all my buckets are, you know, being taken care of. Yeah. So I feel like, I feel like I'm finding that balance now. You know? Slowly but surely, my friend. Yeah. Justin, uh, I really want to dig into uh, specifics when it comes to recurring income, when it comes to um, you know passive income, because that's kind of where I'm at in my life as well. You know, I've done well, I make pretty good money, but it's really okay. How do I take my recurring income to the next level? Because that's the goal, and I think for most of our listeners, that's where they're trying to be. So. In terms of your actual portfolio, so obviously you had a big exit, you're making great money, you started your your fund. Have you put all your money into passive syndications on seven, eight percent returns? Or like what does that passive income, that recurring income come from? And if you can maybe summarize it for a guest on something that they can shoot for, what would that be? Yeah. So for me it's it's two main buckets, right? There's other little investments there, like little oil and gas investments, things that aren't the two main things. But the, the main thing is uh, commercial real estate, multifamily specifically, um, value add deals, development deals, because they provide the best tax incentives, right? So yes, you're getting the 10% preferred return, all these things, but real estate is very slow money, right? You're putting your money in for five, 10 years, it's locked up, it's slow. So then you need, you need a fast money bucket, right? So that's Kern's Capital for me. So those are my two buckets and I'm building them equally because they play with each other. So the way, the way taxes work, like I'm not a CPA, none of this is financial advice or any of that, but this is what I do, right? So you got the active side of the equation and the passive. The taxes and the earning flow together. So if you got passive gains, you're gonna need passive losses to mitigate taxes, active gains, active losses. So in terms of building out your, your passive portfolio, whatever your favorite fast money stuff is, um, like for us, we, we're using AI algorithms and swing trading, um, to get two, two to four percent return every month, net to the investors, right? So I know I'm getting that fast money, and it's getting, it's paying me quarterly, right? So if I got, let's make these numbers real simple. If I got a hundred thousand in current capital, let's say it made fifty grand last year, in the, at at the end of the year, I'm looking for a real estate deal that's going to have a lot of depreciation, cost segregation. Um, so I put a hundred grand in there, and it saves me fifty thousand on paper. So now I didn't pay any taxes on my hedge fund gains. Mm. So I'm looking at how can I build these buckets and keep all of the income, all the gains. Mm. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. And the more I get into business and the more money you make, the game really becomes how do you offset your tax liability? And, uh, you know, as everyone knows, not everyone, but most people, real estate is an awesome way uh, to do that. So when it comes to cost segregation, because I've heard that term thrown around a lot, um, what what actually is that? You have to be a real estate professional. Um, I know you can depreciate the building, you know, accelerate it in one year instead of the 27 and a half. Yep. What does it look like? Are you able to offset with cost seg earned income from like a sales position or does it need to be passive gains? Can you break that down a little bit more? Yeah, so as an LP, it's, it's gonna be passive, right? If you're trying to offset uh, active gains, you're gonna have to be a GP on one of these projects um, or there's all kinds of, 
other things you can do. There's insurance products, you know. Um, you can buy cars, you know, that weigh a certain amount. What is Six thousand pounds. Like one seventy nine. Yeah. yeah. There's all, all kinds of tactics for that. Um, but yeah, the passive side is is where you're going to end up making your, I guess, without working money, right? At some point, you need that 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 bucket's where you want to focus, um, and all all the active income is going in there, right? No lifestyle until all the active goes in the passive, and then the passive's grown enough that it you can turn on the spending. So the thing I love about value add real estate and and what cost seg is is basically that depreciation, but on different parts of the project. So you can depreciate different um, aspects of the building or whatever to get more of a, of a depreciation. Mm. Um, but the best part about the real estate is in commercial, it only works in commercial. So you gotta be over, I think it's four units uh, to be considered commercial. That's, you're gonna get paid four times on $1 this way, right? So you got the, the cash flow every month from, from the rent, then you've got to refinance, usually in year three or four, because they've done so much work on the property, which is where your tax uh, write-off comes from. All that capex spending is going on the K-1 because you own a piece of that business. So all the expenses of the business flow through to you, right? That doesn't happen in a single family. So you're getting paid on the refinance because the value of the property is based off the net operating income. It's not the comps, right? It's not single family where your house is only worth what the one next door is. So every dollar of NOI you can raise on the property is 15 to $25 of value, depending on a lot of factors. So if you do a lot of value add over a three-year period, you go back to the bank, and now the property's worth 20% more, you can pull that 20% out, and now I got return of capital tax-free. I got my investment back, right? But the equity is still in the deal. So the cash flow keeps going, and then eventually, that property is going to sell at a two, three, four, or five x multiple, and you get paid again. So really, you're getting paid four times on the same dollar in commercial real estate. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. I like that. Um, okay, so if I'm a sales professional or someone out there with a small business or dropshipper, whoever, making two, three hundred thousand dollars a year, and my goal is my passive freedom number is ten thousand dollars a month. That's their goal uh, in recurring income. What is the playbook there? Am I taking all my income or as much as possible and dumping into a syndication? Am I putting some in stocks with dividends? What would your strategy be to get someone in that income bracket to making that six-figure residual mark? Yeah, don't do what I did. So uh, what I did in the beginning is because I was all in on on the real estate. um, I was racking up all those passive tax losses, and I didn't understand that I wasn't going to be able to use them. Because you weren't? Making passive income, right? There's no passive income from elsewhere, so now you got a tax write-off that you can't even use. Yeah. Uh, the ben- the good thing is, is they, they carry forward, right? So you can use them whenever you want. Like once you have it, it you can use it next year, the year after. So I was racking up uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars of tax losses I, I could <laughs> use. Uh, so what I would do first is, you know, obviously I'm going to say current's capital because that's you know what I know, like understand what I'm involved with. But um, yeah, I mean, if you think about it this way, you, you put a hundred grand in there. And our our targets two to two to four percent a month net. I mean that's go right in the middle. So three thousand dollars a month, you know, like there's your thirty, what thirty six grand a year, something like that right there. So you only need a couple, couple hundred thousand dollars with us to have literally another salary. And then at the end of the year, look at what your gains are. That's when you make the real estate investment. Mm. So your guys' business is is more on the aggressive side. 
in terms of returns, right? Because yeah. out there in a normal syndication, right, most people are making, you know, I'm a part of one like we talked about. I think I'm making 8% preferred return, and in three to five years, they're going to do the refi. I'm supposed to get, you know, I forgot what the IRR is, but it's about a 3x. Yeah. That's pretty standard in terms of syndications for passive investments. Yeah, 15 to 25 IRR. Got it. Right. So the playbook would be take all your earned income or as much as you can. You know, what would be a healthy number? 20, 30, 40% as much as you can save? Um, I mean, this is a different for everybody depending on your risk tolerance. But um, I, I think as a rule of thumb, I, I don't want 20% of my net worth and more than 20% of my net worth in any one place. It's just a good rule, you know, or whatever that number is for you. Because what you have to ask yourself when you're playing in the accredited investor space, these are private placement investments, right? Um, they can go to zero. It's it's it can happen right so i look at every investment bucket as okay if i lost it all is it going to hurt me am i okay with it and that's the percentage that i'll allocate to it plain and simple right so find out what that number is for you and then start building the buckets but that's a, a thing that should shift for you in the beginning you should be all in you don't have anything to lose right so i'd yeah i'd put a hundred percent of it into something like Kearns capital until you know you make enough that you can start spreading it out and you're actually and you actually have something to protect this is something i see the biggest thing holding people back is that they're trying to protect nothing mm. they don't understand they don't have anything yet like five ten even a hundred grand like what are why are you trying to protect a hundred thousand dollars that's not going to make you wealthy all in on one thing double it then spread it out whatever that number is for you you know yeah no, 100%, man. And uh, yeah, I love it. I think people need to get obsessed, absolutely obsessed with figuring out a way to get recurring income because that's the game. That's why we're all playing. You know, the, the, the play here is to create freedom, is to create longevity, it's to live our life by back time. You know, earlier you talked about compressing time, which I really love that concept. For me, I always had the philosophy that I want to sacrifice. I don't even want to use the word sacrifice, but I want to be a little unbalanced for two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, fifteen years of my life as a young adult, so I can buy back time in the second or third quarter of my life and do what I want with who I want. And the only way to do that, guys, is to follow people like Justin. It's to understand that it it matters how much you make, but it also matters on your philosophy and your investment theses and making sure you put your money in the right spots. Because in my experience, Earning money is step one of the equation. You have to realize how to keep that money uh, with taxes and having good habits, but also knowing what buckets to put that money into to duplicate it and obviously make more recurring income. Yeah. I mean, you could, it's like you're exactly where you should be. Everybody needs to understand that. Like, you are where you are because of everything you've done and what your acumen is to that point. Like, you got to be a wealthy person inside before you're ever going to be wealthy in real life. Bars. <laughs> Justin, a couple more questions uh, as we're wrapping up. I know you host a business conference. I think it's yearly or, or bi bi yearly, uh, where you have entrepreneurs come out. I think the last one was in Miami, yep. um, and you know you train them on success mindset, uh, investing, and, and probably offer them certain investment opportunities. What qualities do you see in the people that come to this event and then leave and then actually implement and see success and actually make gains in their life versus the ones that come maybe annually or they talk about how successful they're going to be and all the things they're going to do and they end up not doing anything with it? Uh, so much of that. It's so disheartening. I mean, there's the first step is just getting yourself in the room, but the action piece is so rare. It really is. I think a lot of people 
like the idea of improving their life. They get motivated. They attend all this stuff. But the results are, are there, right, for very few people that actually show up. And I was calling out the whole room on, on stage because um, the first one of the boot camps that I went to when I wasn't even a part of Kearns Capital yet, there was a guy, Chris McGinnis, on stage. And he gave away the whole game on how he's made, you know, multiple eight figures, right? He's like, I do it on DMs. I do this. I do this. I do this. I wrote the whole thing down. I actually went and did it. And I saw a bunch of people there, right? And that's how I landed a lot of investors and like everything that's happened is because I actually just implement what I'm hearing, right? I asked the whole crowd, like, how many of you actually did it? Like nobody. Like this guy's giving you the game. What are you doing? So I think people just, they like the idea of it, but I think people are scared of success because it's a different type of responsibility. It's gonna be hard. I think it's easier than not having money in success, but it's gonna be hard. It's a whole new level and responsibility. And I think that really gets in people's heads. Like, what am I gonna do if it actually works? Yeah, there's a, there's a quote that said, being poor is hard, being successful is hard. Choose your heart. That's it. It's true. You know, you can either you can either fight for your possibilities or fight for your limitations, but it takes the same amount of energy. So why not choose to do something different? And I believe, you know, similar to your point, that it's it's just based on uh, people's insecurities. It's based on uh, their lack of self trust with themselves, their lack of being able to get vulnerable and put themselves in a scary situation to figure out uh, what they're made of. And uh, you know, it's unfortunate because. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the line, they're going to look back at their life and they're going to have tons of regret um, because as we all know, right, it's better to go out there and fail and at least say you tried than not try at all because, you know, what's the point of living? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Justin, you've been absolutely amazing, bro. Uh, appreciate you giving, giving all the game and sauce. Um, for those that maybe are interested in Currents Capital or just want to get more connected with you, where can they find you? Uh, where, how can they reach out? Yeah, so it's Justin Freistadt on Instagram, Facebook, all the socials. Website is Kearns, K-E-R-N-S, dot capital. There's no dot com on that. It's just Kearns dot capital. Perfect. And Justin, my last question for you, my friend. If you could rewind back in time to the Justin who just dropped out of high, uh, high school, dropped out of school, <laughs> dropped out of college, um, who was scared about you know going on to his endeavor, and you know, Justin today could go back and give that person pieces of advice to help accelerate that learning curve, what would that be? You're not stuck and you should try more things and just fail because you're already at zero. You know, like I was like totally like, like there's no possibilities. I wish I would have just tried a million things and I would have found, found the path faster. And it's like, it's such a revelation now because like selling $5,000 packages, right? It took five times the amount of time it's 10 times the amount of leads, less money, then now I have a 15-minute Zoom call, a guy's wiring me millions of dollars, and I make more you know, in that 15 minutes than I made in like a year before. So if you don't have the income you want, you're probably not selling the product you want. You know, like These are all things like, it's not just your personal development, it's the vehicle. But you're gonna have to develop yourself into the person that can go into that vehicle. Mm, 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 mm. Bro, you've been amazing. Thanks for coming on the show. Love it. Guys, tune in to the next episode. We'll be back every week. Fire guests dropping some value to help you guys break that seven-figure mark and help you guys become millennial millionaires. We'll see you on the next show.